Welcome to All Angles. I am your host, Andrew Thomas. Today, I'm sitting down with Mitch Stahl. He is an Olympic athlete, professional volleyball player, and he attended UCLA. Mitch, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you sitting down to have a conversation. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I hear, so as we talk, right, we kind of set up this whole meeting. We were, at, you were in Poland right now. That's correct? Right. Or yeah. More, what are you doing there? Uh, I'm playing volleyball here. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm currently living in Nisa, Poland, playing for Stahl Nisa. Ironically, it's pronounced the same as my last name. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Got a few jokes along the way. Some of my teammates here. Um, but yeah, I've been here since August and we are currently 10 matches into the season. So, uh, we got to think here and then we'll be halfway through and then we need a little bit of a break and hopefully fingers crossed, I'll be able to come home depending on, you know, international travel and restrictions and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Especially, you know, for our listeners, this will be during, uh, December, everything with the new variant coming out. I imagine that's kind of you coming home for the holidays. is kind of up in the air at this point. Yeah, we actually, they just told us in practice that if we have to have a quarantine when we return to Poland from outside of the country, um, we have three yeah. foreigners. So if we come back and we have to quarantine, then we're not allowed to go home. So, okay. Yeah, we're still working on those details, but <clears throat> we'll see. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your season so far. You guys, you said 10 games in. How are you guys doing right now? <laughs> Winless. <laughs> oh, oh no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're winless. We're winless. Yeah. So to give a little bit of background, um, and to kind of maybe educate some people on, you know, the professional world of volleyball, it's, it's not like, um, the NBA where you have the NBA yeah. and then, you know, you have your teams that are traditionally pretty good and teams are traditionally pretty bad, uh, more or less historic. Um, now the NBA, you got a lot of money going around and they're just buying players left and right, you know, gone mm-hmm. to the day stays in one place for, you know, the prime of his career. Right. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> volleyball is a very interesting profession as far as from a business standpoint, because it's primarily in Europe, there's a few places like Argentina and Brazil. Mm-hmm. However, because of the pandemic, the currencies of those countries in South America have plummeted in comparison to the euro and the US dollar. So all the good players from South America have now come to Europe. Yeah. So, uh, in Europe, there's like this circuit and whenever you go to Europe, normally as a US player, <clears throat> you're coming over at 21, 22 years old, um, out of college, played in the NCAA, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from a business standpoint, these European clubs, they don't know, they can't compare you apples to apples with other Europeans around your same age and skill level because the NCAA doesn't cross over with any European countries, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you have to go to, uh, one of like the middle leagues, you know, right. and this, I'm not being derogatory or condescending in any way. Everybody knows in the European circuit knows kind of where these countries stand. So yeah. countries like, um, Finland and Spain are more of like your entry level leagues, right? Yeah. And, uh, Spain's actually coming up, which is cool. Okay. Good. But then you have like France and Germany who are your young guys coming up and your old guys who are getting ready to retire, but still want to play a few more years. So you okay. have this big gap. Um, and then you have places like Italy and Poland and those are the top two. Okay. 
or leagues in the world. And that's where everybody's at the prop. You know, like yeah. if in Italy, you're playing in Poland and you're a foreigner, you're good. Yeah. Because in France, they don't have a foreigner. Like you can yep. have, you can have unlimited foreigners in France still mm-hmm. play. And you can be a French guy if, uh, you play there five years or more. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I say all that to say I played in France for three years. I went to Belgium for a year and then this is my first year in the top league. Um, so okay. I wanted to get into like a bottom team. Yep. Um, last year, this team finished I think 12 out of 14. So okay. I knew coming into the season that it was going to be a difficult challenge. We've yep. lost some games that we shouldn't have, uh, um, yeah. but we're, we're getting by. We're getting by it. So we got a few more matches here before Christmas. And yeah, I think I like our odds against this team. Okay. So, yeah. No, that makes sense. And I think I'm trying to think about it. I know a little bit more about like European soccer rather than like right. European volleyball, but I, I can kind of see the similarities when you talk about the different countries. Like, where do people want to go? Where are the highest leagues? So, right. That kind of fits. And I have some more questions about, you know, your time in, in Europe playing volleyball, but I wanted, I really wanted to start and ask you is, you know, thinking about where you're at now and maybe where you thought you were going to be, let's say freshman year of high school, what would your, what would that younger self, uh, not believe about your life today? Wouldn't believe anything. <laughs> I was volleyball my freshman year out of school. Okay. Um, I was dead set on being a basketball player. honestly, I mean, <laughs> I'm dead set on it. Um, that was my sport of choice. That was my best sport going yeah. in high school and I just kind of figured that that would happen and you know I didn't really have any necessary ambition as far as you know I wanted to play at UNC you know mm-hmm. I Tyler Hansborough I you know I grew up watching him and uh <clears throat> and you know like that's kind of where my mind was I always knew I wanted to play sports yep and I always knew I wanted to play at a high level but basketball is kind of an illusion to think that I could do that in basketball. Not saying that I was bad at basketball, but there's a lot of really good players out Mm -hmm. there. Yo, um, I wasn't super committed to basketball. I liked it, but uh, I fell in love with volleyball and I got obsessed. You know, the first time that I hit a ball, I was like, man, this is for me, you know, and from that moment, I was like, I remember watching after the 2008 um, team, USA team, won the gold medal in Beijing. Um, I remember watching the highlight video from that my freshman year, just over and over and over again in my bump shop at our house um, on the desktop computer and just in awe of what these guys could do. I mean, just the sheer athleticism that they had. I was like, oh, you know, like Clay Stanley, our opposite, just bouncing ball, bombing ball, like 75, 76, 77 miles an hour from the circle. Yeah. You know, as a man, this is incredible. You know what these guys are doing. And, man, I want to do that, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, that just kind of got in my head and it never really got out. To be honest, it was weird, weird obsession that probably isn't healthy, but it happened. <laughs> sometimes that's what it takes, that dedication and that, that obsession to get you, I mean, where you're at right now. At that point. I do this. Yeah. All right. And then when we talk about kind of, you know, these points in your life, so you, you said, you mentioned that, um, you know, volleyball wasn't, wasn't your main 
passion or focus freshman year, but now you are here, you're in the professional leagues and doing all that. What would you name this, this chapter in your life? What would the title be? Random. Random? To explain that a little bit more. Random and no, no, no. I'm going to change that. Volatile. Okay. Man, it's, um, it's difficult doing this because, and I don't mean the volleyball. Yeah. The volleyball part is the part that's very welcome. Mm -hmm. Everything else that comes with this life that I was not anticipating is just, you know, blown me off my feet multiple times. Just big sucker punching because, you know, I was born and raised in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, a small town on the East Coast, um, around 40,000 people. And volleyball took me from there to UCLA in the middle of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And that was culture shock. I didn't understand. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yep. Turns out it's a psychological thing. So I go out, out to UCLA my freshman year, super challenged. Mm-hmm challenging probably one of the hardest years of my life and you know wasn't doing good in school wasn't doing great socially wasn't doing great on the volleyball court you know going through all this adjustment period of college on top of living in a big city on top of not being relate to really anybody there mm-hmm. you know like i didn't grow up with people around me in my house uh you know my best friend was my cousin you know i grew up playing with by myself yep. you know and it, that's my background. And I find myself in LA and I'm just like, what the hell is this man? Like, you know, I thought it was supposed to be perfect. It's California. And they yeah. didn't realize like, holy shit, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. And I got to learn. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of volatility going up and down and up, and down, and up, and down. And then, you know, four years of that, by the end you get comfort, right. Yep. You kind of understand it a little bit. Um, and then from there, I leave the United States for the first time and I moved to Paris for my first year. Yeah. I show up, <clears throat> no sheets on my bed. There was, our second setter was in the apartment. They had him living in the apartment I was going to be in. Uh, I show up, I'm like, yo, what is, like, what's this? Like, is this my apartment or his? Are we sharing this? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just go on the second floor in Paris, um, 13th district. And it's noisy, it's loud. I can't sleep. I'm wondering what the hell I'm doing over here. My phone doesn't work. I can't even talk to my parents. Um, yeah. You know, like I go outside, nobody speaks a lick of English. I don't speak a lick of French. I have no idea where I'm going. And they just say, hey, practice tomorrow at this time. Luckily, I had a teammate who lived close to me, took me under his weight for a little bit until I got my feet under me. Okay. That was another culture shock. You know, that was a different kind of city. That was a different kind of culture that was dealing with a different language. Yeah. It, didn't, it took me to my third year to be able to speak any small little bit amount of French. Mm-hmm. Just uh order some food and get around. Yeah. You know, so then I go from there and then I go to Belgium, uh, after that. And I'm sorry, I didn't go to Belgium after that. I went to Paris and then I went to another team. Okay. And then I'll another team with friends. So each year hopping around. Cause that's kind of what you do. You sign these one year deals and yep. whatever you're getting going, you're hustling. You're just trying to make a good season to go up one, you yep. know, just go up one plus one plus one plus one. Trying to go up in the French league, go up in the French league, get to the top team in the French league, then make a jump. So uh, I was going to make a jump to Poland in 2020, but the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. So they a lateral from France to Belgium, and I got on the champion. 
Mm. The Champions League team, there were some issues with the way the season previously ended. And I show up and they say, hey, we're not in the Champions League. We're in Sevco. I'm like, shit. Yeah. In here for Champions League. No, we're not in there. And then you're dealing with a different culture there. Mm-hmm. Those people have a big influence from Holland and Netherlands because that's the part that I was in. Yep. And now you got to deal with this Dutch directness where they just tell you how it is and it's difficult to deal with that, yep. you know, it's like, whoa, what's going on? You know, and then I come here to Poland and this is a, uh, currently going through that culture shock, but yeah, in between those years of bouncing around, come back to the national team and, you know, you come back and we're based in California. So I still am able to see my friends during the summertime because the summertime mm-hmm. team is. And then fall, winter, and most of spring, you're overseas. So you're overseas for nine months. Then you come back in the summertime for three months. And you're trained with your national team. You're flying all over the world. And sometimes yep. they're sending you home. And sometimes they're bringing you out in the middle of these tournaments. And mm-hmm. you, you, there's no s- solid ground to grab onto. Yeah, You're constantly like the world is constantly shifting. You're pretty much just trying to swim through quicksand. Yeah. Um, you know, just hoping to, you know, make something out of yourself and get to a position where you're a little bit more stable as a player, you can start to choose where you go. And that's only a handful of people in the world that can really choose where they go. Yeah. Uh, You know, so yeah, there's a lot of volatility in this chapter in my life. Yeah. I mean, just, just trying to follow along with that, just the jumping around, just the mental strain that that would take. I can only imagine. What, what is that kind of volatility, that change? What has that taught you about yourself? And I know you're kind of going through it. And so that might, it might be a deep question, but I'm really curious kind of what, what has it taught you about yourself kind of going through it? You know, I think I don't really, I don't think I will truly understand the gift that this chapter in life has given me until I'm finished. Okay. Meaning I'm done with my career because. No. For me, it's so normal to, and normal is a relative term, it's not really normal, but it's so normal for me to move to a new place, get excited about it, it's super adventurous, and to find out that I don't belong here, I'm a foreigner, I don't speak the language, nobody really wants me here. Mm-hmm. They just have bought me to score points on a court. Yep. And, and you deal with that, like, you know, there's guys being fake around you, there's guys you know, who are genuinely nice, but they don't really care about you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been on my own this whole time. I'm, I'm a single guy, so I'm just cruising around, you know, and it's just like nothing's really sticking. And, um, you know, it just, I don't know. I don't know really what it's taught me. You know, it's, it's taught me to be, um, let's see, it's taught me to definitely kind of go with the flow a little bit more, yeah. you know, just being okay with that and knowing that, you know, these little small chapters, there's your paragraph in this chapter though. And then, yeah, um, sometimes they suck man. not gonna lie. Um, but I think that it's given me a ton of perspective uh, on our country, on our culture, uh, on myself too. And mm. finding thing, finding ignorance in myself culturally, that is important to understand, to just be a better human being. Yeah. No, without losing the Americanism that has allowed me to get to this position. 
because I feel that I grew up in a place that was very patriotic and yep. very, very passionate about, you know, our way of life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's helped me. I've been able to, to draw on that ability to get through a lot of hard times over here that I see there's a lot of guys, even Americans don't always have, um, but it's definitely something that we as a collective group in America have, whether we choose to use it or not, we have it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really important tool, uh, especially now with just everything that's been going on and how divided our country is. If we can use that tool to bring each other together, instead of ripping each other apart, we'll be fine. But don't figure that shit out. It's it's gonna be volatile America. That's right. It might be good to be over in Poland then at that point. But I I don't know. Russia's coming. Oh, also very true. Yeah, I mean, kind of everywhere in this world is kind of you know screwed at this point. Um, Okay. Well, I you know I think that I I knew it was gonna be a difficult question, but I I had to ask just to see where that kind of um, reflection had been at but to say like you went from you know your small town in pennsylvania and i looked it up and everything before this interview and oh i come from a small town so i i know exactly what what you mean to then have that opportunity to you know go to a big city like los angeles but then to go to europe and visit paris an even larger city and then to travel all around i mean one that's an experience probably a lot of your classmates have never will never or have never gone but even then for you to come back and say like, you know, but growing up in that town is the reason that I can jump from place to place to place at this point, I think is, is good insight as well. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding of uh, what this lifestyle is because, you know, I lived in Paris for a year. I lived in France for three years, you know, <laughs> We're like, oh my God, you get to live in all these beautiful places. But the issue is we're lucky if we get one day off a week. Yeah. Or two. We don't have weekends. We play on the weekends. We train during the week and we travel on three days a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So the Morgan Wallen song called Living the Dream that pretty much sums up what we do. Yeah. I don't know the listeners that like country music, but like, man, I'm just... I'm looking at my life through a window, you know, I'm driving through France, it's beautiful, but I'm on a bus or I'm on a train, plane, and I'm just going to the next destination and it's super hard to enjoy because it's kind of like you're in jail over here in a way, yeah. you know, you have so many people telling you what you're doing, plus you're a foreigner, so you're very uncomfortable. So whatever you get a free day, man, and the only thing I want to do is just chill and not hear any bullet. Yeah. I'm going to stay in my house. Or I'm going to go for a drive and walk into the woods and get out in the nature or something. Yeah. Really do that. But it's just like, that. this is not a glorious life. Like, yeah. even with the national team, like, mm-hmm. this shit sucks. Like, if I'm being completely honest with you, yeah. like, that athlete sucks. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of mm-hmm. bullshit that goes with it. But, but there's also a ton of really incredible moments uh that come out of it that you can't get in your regular everyday life and it's what makes it worth it yeah you know? so no, yeah i think i mean not not what i expected but i i it makes sense right when you have um 
when you talk about not having those free time, like you live in Paris for a year, you probably barely got to see any of it. And then let alone the French countryside, when you move around, just, you know, you, you get to be in those wild areas. I guess, and this kind of goes into my next question I had for you, man. It was like, who are you outside of an athlete at this mm. point? You talk about like, all you are, all you do is you train, you travel to games and you get, and you play games. But when you have your free time, who are, like, what do you do? Who are you outside of, of this athlete? I like to learn. Um, I like to learn. I like to learn about business. Um, I like to learn about just keeping up with the culture back home, keeping up with friends. Um, I used to be a video game player, but it's just kind of a, it's kind of a waste of time yeah. to be honest with you for where I'm at in life right now. Uh, I just, I like to design. I like to create, I like to build things. Um, I've always done that. I grew up, my dad's got an auto body shop at our house that, um, I grew up, you know, messing with cars and painting matchbox cars for my buddies at school, you know, for a buck, you know, hustling them for a buck, just paint a car. Um, I like working with my hands and it's hard to do during this period of my life. So, um, I like to, uh, like to develop my business ideas on my computer. Mm -hmm. Best way I can do to work with my hands while I'm over here. Uh, you know, just learning skills like that to use after volleyball because, you know, this isn't for, this isn't forever and it's not everything. So, yeah, uh, definitely got plans for after. And I'm just trying to make them a reality at this point. And, you know, whenever I'm over here, there's not a whole lot of socializing that goes on. It's, it's pretty much grinded. Okay. But it's nice because it's yeah. like, it's like a built in, um, well, one buddy, uh, he calls it like, you know, we're monks over here. Yep. You know, essentially like we don't have to worry about any distractions and it's actually a really beautiful thing. Yep. You know, you lose touch with a lot of people and you know, you're not really up on anything that's going on when you go home. That comes back, but you know, you can really focus and get some shit done over here. So, yeah. Yeah. So tell me, uh, I'd love to know one, what is the, your kind of favorite thing that you built or worked on? Maybe it was with your dad in a shop. And then if you wouldn't mind sharing, what is a, one of the businesses that you're working on? We'd love to hear kind of where your thoughts are at on those. Yeah. So, um, my dad's got a 1970 GTO convertible, uh, on it. Okay. And he crashed it whenever I was young and I kind of got on him about restoring it, you know, getting it going. Uh, but, um, we wanted to get it done to drive it out to UCLA during my time of college. Anyway, life happened, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, we worked on that for a while and we recently restarted that, which has been pretty cool. Uh, right. so just learning that from afar, you know, I'm not there to physically work on it with my hands, yep. uh, but you know, he'll FaceTime me or send me photos and explain things to me. So I'm able to learn mm -hmm. just watching him through, through the lens of the camera. Uh, you know, I do, I'll have certain breaks in my schedule that I'll be able to go home. I'll help him out with that and uh, yeah. build that together. So that's been the coolest thing that I've been a part of, even though I haven't been a huge part of it, um, just because it's hard with life right now. Uh, you know, and business, yeah, I'm interested in real estate. You know, I, I like that, that sort of thing. Uh, buildings, like physical assets that I can touch. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just bringing people together, you know, in those spaces, I think is really really important and, uh, you know, something that everybody needs in an increasingly digital world. 
to have somebody or some place where you can go and, you know, you can, you can feel like, damn, somebody designed this space for us to be in. Mm-hmm. Or like, this is a comfortable place. I don't know why, but it's comfortable. Yeah. Instead of these Ikea cookie cutter houses, because that's all I live in over here. I mean, mm-hmm. everything, damn room's Ikea. You know, it's, it gives you a and that's what you got. And it's yeah. like, this is no way to live. Yeah. So it's, it's gotten me a little bit pissed off and inspired because of that. But you know what? You know, trying to channel it the right way, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, right? If you wouldn't have been over there to see the kind of cookie cutter Ikea stuff that, that they have over there, you would have never thought about, you know, how can we b- bring people together in those more, in those conducive spaces for that and trying to build that. Do you think like, ar- you know, engineering architecture wise that you want to do something like that or more of like just the the thought process behind it like that's kind of like where you're like the visionary guy and then you bring in people who will design your vision then i'm gonna do it all but do it all okay yeah i don't i don't really trust people with my vision <laughs> yeah that's fair you got to be able you got to be able to do it and so you know really kind of put it on paper yeah okay. i'll bring the light i'll bring it to life but um not all the places over here ikea cooked, just the places that put you Yes. Because you're like, all right, we've got this guy for a year. Let's give him some shit. Yes. Okay. No, and I think I wanted to touch on, you know, with your dad building the car, I think one that's awesome. I, being able to do that with your father, you know, when you have time, right? Of course, we talk about your schedule being so busy, but even just finding that time to sit down with him, I think that will mean a lot, whether it's, you know, especially when the project's done, you can kind of look back and, right. Uh, and really enjoy that time, whether or not you were there in person or on FaceTime and stuff. So why don't we jump in? I wanted to, we kind of talked about, you know, kind of growing up in sports and everything. And you went, you went to UCLA, you kind of experienced that. Um, I guess one of the questions I have looking at when you talk about volleyball in Europe compared to, um, you know, playing in college, what would be kind of your number one difference between playing playing in Europe over in the U.S. Mm. for volleyball? It's much more of a passion here. Okay. Because it's these guys' livelihoods. No, I mean, you're also dealing with the history of these countries and you know, the history of the towns within the countries that are playing each other and it just runs deep. Okay. It's deep and long history and it's a way for I mean, no we come over here, you fight. Yeah. Um, my buddy was saying that like you come here and you fight. Like there's this ain't a game. Yeah. Like, this is real. Yeah, you know, like guys, they go at it. Um which is not necessarily the case. In collegiates, at least in men's volleyball in the yeah. U.S., you know, sometimes you have those matches, but it's it does it's different kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and I imagine that's as you know, I look at just from my my lens the with football, football or whatever over there. Um, that they, I mean, the towns live or die in that club sport, and I imagine that's the same with volleyball then. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, like, for example, this town that I'm in now has been waiting 15 years to play in the first division here in Poland. They, they call it the Plus Liga. So, 
last year was like their first full year uh, after the pandemic. And then this year is their first year with three foreigners. So last year they had one foreigner. This year is the first time in Bucks history they've had three foreigners. So I'm the first American to play here. And I don't want to say live here yeah. because probably been Americans who have lived here in the past, but they're few and far between. Yes. So for them to have an American, a Bulgarian, and a Tunisian is like a huge deal for them. Okay. How big is this town that you're in right now? I'd say it's probably around 50 or 60,000. Okay. Nothing's not, not, that not too big. Yeah. No, it's small. Not, it's not super big, no. But we get you know, anywhere between three and 4,000 people at every match. They're patched. Yeah. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty good for, from, Very I mean, I imagine that's probably, uh, a normal size out there, but just thinking from like a U.S. perspective and everything, that's, I mean, that's a pretty good crowd for, for vo- a volleyball court and everything. Yeah. Right. Poland's got the best fans in the world for volleyball. Okay. Which as far as they're number one. Yeah. Yeah. As far as from a professional league standpoint. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, you know, your experience. Kind of walk me through your experience growing up through sports. Uh, where, you, you said you got started your freshman year of high school. But from there, how did your, how did your time, like, how did your, I guess, career take off then? Mm. Get to where you are now. And I, we've touched on some of it, so we don't have to re, redo it all. But just to yeah, take So... I had a junior high school that was eighth and ninth grade, and uh, I had two guys who were older than me that I had gone to a church camp with in the summertime, and they knew of me. Um, Ray and Tate Frazier, you guys are listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, anyway, those two guys are constantly on me whenever I'm in eighth grade because they would see me in the hallways. Oh, Mitch, your basketball player, basketball, come try it out. Mm-hmm. I'm not playing basketball. No, I know. I'm not there. And they're just like, dude, I think you'd be good. I think you'd be good. You're like, you're athletic. It's fun. Like, blah, blah, like selling me, giving me everything. Like, every time they see me, just hounding me. Yeah. So then, you know, I was like, ah, you know what? Maybe. So there was a family in my church that, my parents that we had been really close with for my whole life that uh after church one day we made lunch together and then uh their father was volleyball coach and the two daughters played volleyball so uh i just wanted to like try it out because you can't play volleyball like in the backyard mm-hmm. you're good enough i didn't want to embarrass myself you know like i'm gonna try this out and kind of see how it is yeah so i ended up doing it and afterwards like my parents were like, so, like, do you think he's got a chance? And coach was like, yeah, like, I think you should try out. And mm-hmm. I was like, all right, that's enough for me. Like, may as well, you know. So I ended up trying out in then uh, first match of the season. I played JV, and then I also floated for varsity, and I got subbed in, I think, in second set. And from there, I started playing with the varsity team and starting from then on. And then yeah. I went to junior nationals, which is kind of like AAU nationals for guys to play basketball or other sports. Uh, it's like the biggest tournament in the country for volleyball. And I went with the guys who got me into the sport. And I we went there and we played. We had a couple of good matches. And mm-hmm. 
started hearing rumors like, oh, Penn State and Ohio State and George Mason, they're interested in you. I'm like, bullshit, man. Like, there's no way they're interested in me. Like, I yeah. started playing like a couple months ago. Like, there's mm-hmm. just no chance. Yeah. Um, so, but turns out those rumors were true. And it, so then I started playing travel ball uh, for volleyball and started playing high school. And it just like kept picking up speed, picking up speed. And then uh, I went out to a camp out of Pepperdine to try and get a little bit of exposure, just mm-hmm. more out there, just higher level. And, you know, then I started getting some interest from colleges from the West Coast, from the Midwest. And then it all kind of started picking up real fast. And I was getting a lot of emails from different colleges here and there, you know, um, ended up settling on UCLA and, you know, even when I went to UCLA, man, I honestly didn't really know what I was doing with volleyball, you yeah. know, the physical dude, I could jump high and hit hard. And, uh, then I went to UCLA and, you know, my first year I didn't play a whole lot in the beginning and then moving around positions and then finally went back in the middle, which is not right now and then, um, ended up playing the second half of that season, um, and then started for the next three years. And then afterwards, um, towards the end, started playing with the national team a little bit, some practices and started figuring out like, oh, I can play at this level, you know, Hey, I should probably go overseas and play there. And when I got my job, parents came back and just kind of like started to grow up there. So yeah. It's gotcha. been a, it's been a pretty crazy line. Like, yeah, it's moved pretty quickly. No, for sure. And it, I mean, especially just going from where you weren't, you weren't necessarily, I don't know if confident was not, is not maybe not the right word, but you weren't for sure. Like, Hey, I'm just, I'm just playing a game that I like, like, why are these schools all interested in me and everything? And they kind of, that interest just helped almost drive you to where you were at. Right. It, it definitely did. Cause I didn't really know what was going on. Like, yeah. I didn't know that I was good at volleyball. Yeah. I never been around the sport. I've yeah. really never been around the sport. So in my eyes and from my lens the whole time, I just like, oh, all right. Like, oh, I can play varsity. Like I'm good enough to be here. Like mm-hmm. I had no idea. No, that makes sense. With, uh, during this time of you kind of developing and, you know, getting to where you're at now, what was the best piece of advice that you were given? The best piece of advice. Huh. I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of public, but the best singular piece of advice. I think like, uh, for people who do get obsessed with things and who have, who like to work and they can ignore everything else except for that one goal. Like that's a very, that's a very admirable attribute and a desired attribute to have, Mm -hmm. it can destroy you because you can get about everything in your life and only work towards that one thing and made your whole life about that one thing, which at the beginning of anybody's career can be very advantageous. But when you look at a 10, 20 year period, it's deadly. Yeah. And, uh, my strength coach on our national team, 
told me, Hey, what got you here will not keep you here. You know, like getting to this position and staying in this position are two totally different things. Like, yeah, you can learn to feather the throttle. You're going to have to learn to feather the throttle because if you're constantly going and constantly going, like you're going to burn out and be miserable and it's just going to blow up in your face like a car, you know? So I think that that's probably the best piece of advice that I've got that I can point to in my yeah. career. You know, I've had a lot of like little niblets along the way, but that was like, when he said that I was, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. I got it a little bit, you know, like yeah. I got to enjoy this. Like, cause I'm just, you know, you get so hard on yourself, you know, to push yourself further and further and further. And it's like, dude, come on, man. Like give yourself a break. Like you've, you've reached the highest level you can reach. Like you don't need to continually be like this. Yes. You yeah. No, that, I think that's a really good piece of advice, especially for any young athletes kind of going into their career and everything. They have that driven mindset, like well, it's they, great to have, but you, you know, once you get to like a point, like where you're at, it's like, all right, what else can fulfill me? Like it, you can't keep driving all the time and you exactly. gotta enjoy being in Europe and doing that or whatever. Right. Exactly. And I think going speaking on, you talk about the national team and you know, I'm going to transition pretty well here onto your time in the Olympics, right? The, a big thing when I, when I saw that you were going to be in the Olympics, and everything, I was like, I need to get this guy on the podcast. I want to talk to him. I want to know what that experience is like. And so you joined the national team. When, when did you, when did you get asked to be on the national team? So it wasn't like an official invitation, but I want to say around 2016, 2017. Okay. One of those summers that started practicing. However, I didn't travel with the top national team until 2019. We came to Katowice, Poland. That was my debut. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. With the second team, I'll call it the second team, but it's the team that stays in like the North Sega, North Sega region, which is North America, you know, Central America, the Caribbean. Okay. So our region world. Okay. They kind of play there. So then, so you get at, so you get asked in 2016, you start, you kind of get your debut on the, you know, the men's quote unquote first team. When, how, what is that experience like to go, like you get to play there? Was it just an automatic thing because you were playing on the men's team that is like, all right, you're going to Japan, whatever, you know, it, obviously COVID happens, it gets delayed and everything. But when Japan was finally going to happen, it's like, all right, let's go. You're on, mm -hmm. the, on the plane to Tokyo. Yeah, uh, it's not guaranteed. Okay. It's very, very far from that. So yeah. I explained a little bit of the European circuit. Now I got to explain the U.S. Okay. national team circuit. Yes. Right. So um, there's essentially the best way to break it down, the easiest way to break it down, and it's not exactly like this right now just because of the pandemic and all this other shit that's going on. Mm -hmm. It's throw a whole bunch of wrenches in it. But in a given four-year period, we call quad. There's a handful of guys that have a pretty good idea that they're going to go. Yep. Or that they have a shot, right? There's probably 20 guys in that roster that make up our first team. And of those 20 to 24 guys, depending on the tournament we go to and how long the long list is, because you can submit a roster mm -hmm. of 
21 or 24 guys, depending on the tournament. And of that, you only travel 14. Okay. So for four years, you can get a pretty damn good idea if you're going to go to the Olympics, if you're traveling every tournament. Yeah. The kicker is they take 12 to the Olympics. Mm. So they have to cut one middle, which is my position, and they have to cut the repair. Okay. So our liberos, our libero is the best in the world. He knows he's going, right? So the second libero, he knows he's not going. Or yeah. there's a really slim chance unless there's an injury or he just starts falling out of control and gets super hot for two months leading up to the Olympics, then he beats the guy out. Yeah. Just so damn good that it has to take. So that's the top team. Okay. Now you have the second team. So how I started was I came in for practices to sub in for the guys coming back from Europe at the beginning of the summer. We yep. needed time to rest and recover their bodies. After a long season, we get beat the shit over here. Mm-hmm. Come back and there'll be a couple of the older guys who are tenured, mostly the Olympians. They take some time at the beginning of the summer to just strength train and do their thing. Yep. Um, so I would come in and I would fill some spots to practice in 2017 because I was at UCLA and uh, the head coach at UCLA was also the head coach of the national team. So he'd call me and say, hey, Mitch, you want to practice today? Yep. Drive from Westwood down to Anaheim. Practice coming. Right. Um, so it turned from that. And then afterwards, they're like, hey, like, come down. We have some apartments. You can stay in the apartments close to the training facility. We'll give you a little stipend. You'll train on the second court. You'll lift. It'll be like a five-day thing. So I did that two or three years to develop, right? Kind of on the development court. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the hope is you kind of grow up in the development court. You go to the tournaments, you prove yourself, and then the top team calls you or you find yourself on one of those long lists, right? Okay. You're like, this is my chance, right? Yeah. And they'll put five to eight guys at the bottom of that long list who they're just trying out. Like, how do they, how do they, like, are they good enough to stay? Like, you know, tryout period so my trial period was in 2019 for vnl uh, volleyball nations league and uh, i got to start my first the first match of the tournament uh i started because we didn't travel we traveled one two of the top guys for my position we only traveled three medals for this tournament so they threw me in with kind of a mix of guys it's kind of like a it's kind of a cluster honestly at the beginning of these tournaments just, hey, we're going to throw some guys out there. Let's get some looks. Yep. Played against Brazil. Um, and then I didn't play against Australia, but I got subbed in. And then third match was against Poland. Their first team in Poland. And we had a mix of dudes. A mix mm-hmm. of dudes. We had some veterans, some Olympians. And we had some guys who didn't have any experience like myself. Yep. Uh, we took their first team to five in front of 11,000 people in Poland. That's awesome. It was incredible. Yeah, I'm sure that felt real good. It was awesome. And after that, I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is what I'm built for. And, um, like, it was, it was addicting playing at that level and getting a taste of it, Mm -hmm. you know, because there was more meat on the bone whenever the other guys came. Our level was, you know, the team's level was going to increase. I wanted to be a part of that. You know, what's that like? You know, just the, the pureness of the sport, like Mm -hmm. the, the adrenaline is, it's a drug, man. Like it, it really is a drug. Whenever you play a match like that, it takes hours to come down. It's better than 
anything you can put in your body. I mean, it's incredible, like the feeling. So, uh, that's kind of how that started. And then I kind of found myself like, Ooh, I'm in the rotation, right? So there's six mm-hmm. middles now. Um, I'm in the rotation. So now I'm just trying to get on these travel squads, right? Mm-hmm. So we went from Poland to, to, uh, Russia for our next trip. The plan was to send me back to the States after Russia and then bring me back for the fifth leg. So there's five weeks, Poland, Russia, France, Italy, Bulgaria was that Trump. summit. So I was Trump. going for Poland, I was going for Russia and I was going for Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. And that summer, the way it was, was the top guys are going to start to filter in the second week, be there for the third and fourth, and then go home and bring the young guys fit. Mm. Right. Okay. So I was getting the first two in the third. So I wasn't getting the prime time, right? Yeah. So after Poland and then I played in Russia for a couple or two of the matches there. After that week, they said, Hey, we want you to stay and go to France. Mm. And I was like, Ooh, that's a good sign. Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. All right. Like I'll do that. Our first match against Argentina in the second set, I go for a block and this guy just Hits the ball, high hands, flies the ball off my right index finger in this thing. And I'm walking back to go on reception and I give my setter a high five. And I felt, I felt this part of my finger. Yep. Whenever I hit it, I was like, oh shit, that's not right. So I go over to my trainer and I'm like, hey, my finger is dislocated. Can you pop back into place? So he's messing with it, messing with it. He's just like, hey, I'm going to have to sub you out. I can't get it. Damn it. Like, I'm getting ready to go back to serve after we side out here. Like, one. He's like, all right, sub me out. And he goes, hey, I think it's best if we put some ice on it right now and we'll look at it after the match. I'm like, damn it. This is a good sign. So then the French doctor, in typical French fashion, who's there for the tournament, looks at it and he goes, yeah, um, it's definitely not broken. And I mean, it's twisted. Like, Yep. It's literally facing me. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely my trainer's like, we're going to get an x-ray. So we go and get an x-ray and, uh, I don't know if you can see it, but I got a scar yep. here, a little S right. Yep. Yep. Had a spiral fracture in this bone of my index finger. Uh-huh. Uh, so they had to send me home. I had to get surgery right away. So mm-hmm. they fixed it. Um, and then four weeks later, I was able to come back. I had to tape these two fingers together. I had a plastic splint on this one while I was playing. Yep. Um, I pretty much had a club on my hand. Um, and then I was able to work back and that like set me back. Now I was like yep. at the bottom of the six middle, right? Cause yep. the way the business works. So, yep. uh, during the trainings, I was able to work my way up and they decided to travel me for the Olympic qualifier later in that summer in Holland. Um, I didn't play. I played a couple points against Korea, but it really wasn't anything. You know, I wasn't getting any reps, right? I was the second libero for most of the time. Like, they just took me along and I didn't really know where I was. Mm-hmm. So then I go overseas and I'm having a good season and I'm just like, man, like I'm close. I'm close. I can feel it. I'm close. I got to break through this and and pandemic hit. Yeah. And it threw everything off. So I was never, I never got the chance to really establish myself because of the injury mm-hmm. and then the pandemic. 
So then I'm sitting at home and I had, my cousin lets me borrow, you know, their home gym. And I'm thinking it's going to be for a couple of weeks. Then we can remain trading. And then everybody comes back, right? Yep. So it's like, shit. So then I go to Belgium, have my professional season there. It was an okay season. It wasn't my best. Not as good as my previous one. So I'm coming back to the national team that next summer, not knowing where I'm at. Nobody really knew where they And then you have that summer and it's on everybody's mind, you know, like the Olympics, like where are they going to take, where are they going to take, you know? So mm-hmm. then, um, our coach, we had VNL, but it was in one place. It was, you know, and it was a five week, it was a five leg tournament where you played three games on three games off. So it's three games on three games off two, three, four, five, the whole way through you played 15 matches. He said, after the third leg, the roster's announced. And he said, we could do it on the second or we could do it on the first leg. We don't know. Yep. So we're all in quarantine in this hotel in Italy and everybody's there. They took like 18 guys. Mm-hmm. So oh, the six guys are getting cut. You know, so the whole time you're thinking like, Ooh, you know, I don't know, like this guy had a good game. Yep. I had an okay game, you know, when you're playing all these games in your head and just trying to figure out what's going on. It, yeah. You know, after the second week or after the second leg, everyone's like, dude, can we announce this? Like, we're going crazy, man. Like, mm-hmm. the guys are shit. It's on everybody's mind. And our coach one practice like, guys, I wish I could tell you who the roster is going to be, but we can't announce it until the next three games. Like, it's too damn close. Yeah. Right. The statistics, the interpersonal dynamics, everything was too close. So after the third leg, we played against Germany. Uh, we had a similar squad to who we had against Poland in 2019 when we took their team to five. But mm-hmm. we're just fighting out there. We're grinding. And after that, I had a good feeling, but I didn't know. Um, yeah. You never really know. But I was like, you know what? I'm happy with what I'm given. You know, mm-hmm. so the ships fall where they may. Um, coach came around to each person's room and, you know, told them, you know, if they made it or not. Yeah. I get a knock on my door and my coach comes in and same coach I had at UCLA and you know, he walks in and I'm sitting on the bed and he's just like, congratulations, you made the Olympic team. Like, holy shit. Yeah. You know, yeah, what was that feeling like that? Like when he said that, right? I mean, you want, he's been your coach for how long at this point, like go all the way yeah. through, but what was like immediate thoughts? Man, it was. One, it was a relief. Yeah. Just know one way or the other. And then second was just like euphoric, like what are the Olympics? Yeah. You know, like what the hell? Like what's the oh, well, uh no, it was it was surreal for a while. I'm I remember there was a there's a couple guys that like grinded, you know, and got their spots too couple of young guys and we're sitting there on the beach in Italy just like holy shit dude go to the Olympics like what you know it's wow. you know, cool. yeah it was super cool and uh you know then we had a few more matches to play and then you know you go back and train and you know it's gonna stay healthy till you leave the tournament yep. plus the pandemic is like yo if you get COVID you're probably not gonna go mm-hmm. so there was a lot of stress in between knowing that you're going and actually going, you know, that period of time is really stressful because you don't want to get injured, but you want to push super hard and then yep. you don't want to stick. And, you know, it was a lot of, a 
lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of dark moments and, you know, eventually it came to light. So it was, it was a process. That's for sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, it has to feel when thinking back to what you first said, watching in 2008 in Beijing, watching those little players and how that influenced you to be like, I want to do that. And now you, you kind of reach that pinnacle and being able to do that. Then at that point, mm -hmm. tell me, tell me a little bit, you get to Japan, right? You get to Tokyo and do it as someone who's never been to the Olympics or just not even as a athlete, but even just as a spectator, what can you describe that feeling a little bit um, of what, like just more personal, what that meant for you? Um, yeah, it was. So we went two weeks before to train um, at an offsite location before we went to the actual village. And, you know, the whole time we're there, it's just like, all right, we made it. But we're still not in the village. Like, it didn't really hit. Then we got on the bus, start to go. Just like, yeah. Here we go. No, there's this bridge that goes over the bay that you can see to your left the Olympic Village. And it's like, I remember just holy. Yeah. But all right. So we get there and it was, it was cool, man. Like U.S. Olympic Committee does a really good job of treating that U.S. athletes really well. You know, we show up and they take your bags and they deliver them to your room for you. So you can check without having anything on you. And, you know, you get there and, you know, you go up, we're on the sixth floor, you know, we all get out, all our bags are there, take them to our roof, go into our suites, open up the door, and they got these big-ass bags, Ralph Lauren and Nike with name on. Nice. And it's just, holy shit, you know? And then it's like, yeah. hey, come up to the fitting room, like, you gotta get your opening, closing ceremony stuff, you gotta, you know, it's just all this stuff, just like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And it's just like, whoa here like, this yeah. is like, it's cool and, you know it's in the moment you don't want to think too much about it because you know you're there for a job but at the same time like so get in it joy you know? oh yeah it was an incredible feeling and like it was cool my hometown really came out strong and showed me a lot of love and that's awesome you know they like you could feel them behind you know even though there were people in the crowd like get off social media or you get on the social media afterwards and you just see these videos of people back home watching this yeah this is cool like this is what it's about like yeah you know that collectiveness that you know americanism that patriotic feeling that you know that fight that is just to be a part of that was just incredible you know you're walking around and you know you've seen guys like Nyjah, the skater and it's like holy shit yeah yeah some balls <laughs> Kevin Durant, you know, yeah. like, you know, these guys, like there's levels to it, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm at the bottom, you know, there's still like so many Olympians, like Katie Ledecky, just like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, wow, like, I'm a part of this. <laughs> yeah. You're seeing all these athletes, right? These people that you've looked up to or you've known for, and you're like, wow, this guy's a professional athlete and I'm just kind of here. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, wait, I'm at the Olympics as well. Was there a guy that was like that kind of made you starstruck? That like you kind of mentioned KD, but maybe there was another one that was like, "Oh shit, that's it!" Like, wow, Yao Ming, <laughs> Yao Ming. Oh, you met? Did you meet yeah. Yao Ming and everything? I didn't meet him. I wasn't gonna do that. Like, yeah. I just seen him sitting at the cafeteria and just, just like, "Yo, Yao Ming." 
Yeah. Just a massive individual. He's huge. Yeah. He's huge. Okay. Yeah. That was definitely, that was like, whoa. I'm in the same reality. Like, wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, what was it like? You kind of mentioned, you know, the the backing of where you felt like your hometown kind of come in and there's the momentum of, you know, the U.S. kind of following you. What was it like for you to represent the country on a national level? Like to be in that spot that you were, you were representing the United States every time you stepped on that court or were in like the Olympic Village and stuff. What was, what was that feeling? What were some thoughts around that? Incredibly humbling. You know, yeah. like to be able to represent everybody, you know, I think that it's, it's a dream come true, you know, like outside of, you know, the military or something where, you know, wearing, you know, the stars and stripes, like there's, you know, there's not a bigger stage to represent your country and, you know, like it to, but not just your country, but family, your friends, your town, your, you know, all those people that have, that you're connected, you know, yeah. everybody's follow and you're able to give them a piece something special like that was probably the best part is you know all these people that you know have touched me and been in contact with me in my life like i'm able to to bring them along you know mm -hmm. that very personal feel to it i think that that was the best part you know to represent my people yeah no i think i mean i just can't imagine but i think you know obviously in good hands with doing that um what what moment out of all of the Olympics, what moment would, will you never forget from your experience? That's really tough. Yeah. I'm, I imagine there's so many then at that point, like the, probably the whole experience, but. I just think that, you know, those 30 minutes before, you know, you go on the court, you know, and every, like, man, you're going to war, like it's war with the best of the best and you know that you know that the guys on the other side as well as the guys on your side are giving every single thing yeah. that they have you know there's no hey i'm saving this for the finals or you know, playoffs. you know it's guns blazing from the beginning yeah from the beginning and i didn't play in the match against france but just being a part of that was like man we were on fire yeah and it was like, and they ended up winning the whole damn thing. So it was like, it was incredible just to like, see the guys on the court and the guys on the bench, like everybody collectively was just moving the needle together yeah. and everybody was on the same page. And like, whenever you're on the same page at a high level of whatever you're doing mm -hmm. with 20 people, staff included, it every single person knows every detail that's going on that's being executed yeah it's the most incredible feeling you don't even have to be on the court no it's just like you know there's situations that we talked about in film mm -hmm. it, we're watching it and the guys are doing it and we're just like yeah that's what we talked about right there <laughs> yeah. like yeah. like come on you know, good so that that execution then at that point yeah it's like that collectiveness and like moving is one i think is the thing that i'll remember the rest of my life no what was the competition i mean you kind of mentioned it but the competition was that just at a, a level that you've just never seen at that point where it's just like because you've played both you know across europe on the national level but 
is it just different when you're at the Olympics? It's just different. Okay. It's different. There's yeah. more of everything. Yeah. More of everything, more focus, more effort, more passion, more higher stakes, more stress, more. It's just everything. You know, the level of competition is the best you can get. If we were in the harder of the two pools, yeah. um, we had France who ended up winning it all. We had Brazil, Russia, Argentina, who got real hot, got third. Yeah. They knocked out of the tournament in the last leg of pool play. Um, and we had Tunisia. And like, there's no gimme matches there. No, no. There's no gimme matches in the Olympics, period. But yes, like, to put it in perspective, all the teams, the four teams that made it out of our pool, they all won the crossover with the other pool. Mm. So the semifinals and the finals, yep, were all from our pool. Okay. So it was just like, yeah, it, it, that's hard. That's hard. I mean, especially when you talk about where you see a lot of the best professional leagues, I'm pretty sure you named a lot of the countries that were also in your pool at that point. Right. So it made it a little bit more difficult. Okay. My final question for you about the Olympics, and then we'll we'll kind of move on. But are there any, as a just a general American here, are there any misconceptions that we have about the Olympics that you you notice? Yeah, the village is not that comfortable. Okay, it's just not like there's a ton of people. It's super hard to find any time to yourself. I mean, it's like freshman year college dorm, like the typical dorm. You know, yep. you got a roommate, you got a single bed and you're in a huge dorm and there's four of y'all. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard to just get alone time and just like chill. You know, there's so much going on and it's, we get a ton of perks. Don't like, I don't want that to be, you know, misconstrued. Like we get, they give us everything we need 100%. Um, but again, it's, it's kind of similar to people's perception of an athlete's life being this grandiose thing. Yeah. Which is not like all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes is not grandiose at all. It mm. is dirty. It's a lot of work. It's stressful. It's all that, you know, you guys, you get to see like the best part. Yeah. And only the best part. Mm -hmm. Oh, they get the Ralph Lauren bags. They get the Nike bags, all that. And then it's great. It's great. But it's difficult at the same time. Like you used to live in, you know, sleeping by yourself and now you got a roommate. Like what happens when stores, what happens when, you know, roommates don't get along or, you know, there's all this other stuff that kind of comes into it. It's like, you can't get away from each other. You're there yeah. for two weeks, you know, and, um, it was hot. It was super hot. Yeah. yeah. Really hot. Um, yeah, but it was, that is incredible. Yeah. No, I think overall it's still incredible, but that, I think that makes sense, right? Is you, as an athlete, you want that time to be able, if you just went and had like the most intensive game of your life, then you can't even, uh, sit back and like take a minute to breathe because you're surrounded by a thousand other people that don't let you breathe and they're trying to do it. So Mitch, I always like to end these podcasts and stuff. One, I've appreciated the time that you, you've given me. I know it's late over there. And so. Um, I want to make sure to allow you to get to bed so you can wake up and start training again tomorrow. But I would like to end these podcasts with like two, two questions to just two last kind of get your noted questions. So the first one, we talk about a lot about where your journey's been. 
but there's still that part of where your journey is going. And so I want to know kind of, what are you still trying to prove to yourself? I'm not trying to prove anything. Mm. No, I've, I've already, you know, proven that to myself. Now I'm just trying to have fun with it, you know? Okay. Enjoy this, to really enjoy it. it um, yeah, to just have the perspective of, hey, like, this is a cool journey you're on. Mm -hmm. Like, don't ruin it by being too serious about it. Yeah. Or like, kind of goes back to what my strength coach said, you know, what got you here is going to let you keep you here. Mm -hmm. No, and it's, I think it's, that's where I'm at right now. And, you know, like I'm fortunate to, you know, be healthy and to be able to continue doing this, you know, like I've, I've been fortunate to reach my ultimate goal in this stage in my life and, um, you know, just enjoying that and, you know, just kind of seeing where I go from here, you know, like there's definitely some goals I got, like, you know, love to win Champions League. That'd be mm -hmm. cool, you know, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of steps to get there, you know, that's a whole different beast, you know, yeah. back to the Olympics and, um, you know, there's always places that you can go up, but it's not the most important thing in life for sure. Understand? Really trying to live by that advice that you kind of mentioned. Um, and then final kind of fun question, just uh, always like, I always like to see what people's answer. I've got some, some different ones, but what's been your best compliment a stranger has ever given to you? <laughs> best compliment. Um, William. <laughs> I met um, one of my buddies or one of my teammates' girlfriends, and she goes, "Oh, you're really athletic." I was like, "Okay, okay." I don't think I've ever heard that before. Yeah, like it was just like so like like you're very yeah, yeah. there. I was like, "Oh, cool, thanks." <laughs> yeah, just like kind of stating the obvious. They're like, "Of course, I made it." You know, I made it to this point. So. Yeah, but nobody's ever said that, you know, yeah. never, nobody's ever like pointed out my athleticism, you know, like, oh, like, oh, you jump really high or like something mm -hmm. like that. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, cool. Oh, that's fine. That's awesome. Well, Mitch, I really appreciate the time that you've given me and everything. Uh, good luck the next three games. Hopefully you can go home to see your family for the holidays. Really hoping for that for you, but really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for coming on the on the podcast. Yeah, man. Thanks, Andrew, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Sure.